Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Sword and Trial. Today, Graham and I get to welcome our old friend David Schrock, who is a pastor up in Virginia and is an author as well as a a wonderful theologian. He's going to be teaching a course for IOPT later this year. And David has written a little book that takes to task uh, a, a larger book that has been very influential in certain sectors of the Christian world. That larger book is Divided by Faith that is written by two sociologists. And Divided by Faith has been commended by uh, ethicists like at the ERLC and uh, very uh, well-respected pastors as being a great book to help you think about racism and racial issues in your church. David has written a book showing that Divided by Faith, that book is a horrible thing for churches to use to try to think through racial issues in their churches. So listen in and learn from David Schrock and look forward to the soon to be published book that he has written, Dividing the Faithful. Welcome to The Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. Delighted to have you join us today as we welcome back to The Sword and Trial, David Schrock. Uh, David is a pastor up in the Washington, D.C. area. In, uh, is it what, what city are you in exactly? Yeah, so the church's title is Occoquan Bible Occoquan, Church. Yeah which is a little river here, but we are in Woodbridge, Virginia. Woodbridge, yeah. I couldn't remember the name of the town. And you've been pastor there now for several years. How long have you been there? Yeah, almost eight years. Eight, eight years. years. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow. So we're grateful for uh, you ministering the gospel up in that area. Uh, also, uh, you are going to be teaching a course for us later this year at the Institute of Public Theology. We're looking forward to having our students sit under you for systematic theology. Glad to have yeah, you on board for that as well. But today, we want to talk to you about your most recent book. And uh, it's a Divide, wonderful book. Dividing the Faith, How a Little Book on Race Fractured of Movement, a Movement Founded on Grace. Divided, mm-hmm. Dividing the Faithful, right? Yeah, Dividing the Faithful. Dividing right. the Faithful. And um, I've read a PDF version of this, and uh, the uh, Christ Overall, which is a ministry you're involved with, made it available for the month of July. It's not available now, but the hard copy should be available, God willing, next month. And so look for this. You can pre-order it. Where can they go to pre-order it, David? Yeah, you can go to the G3 website and pre-order it right there. I'm sure it'll be on Amazon sooner than later, but I know it's on the G3 website right now. Okay, so you can order a pre, a pre-order a copy of it and get it in your hands as soon as it comes off of the press. But the book that David has written is addressing this book, Divided by Faith, Evangelical Religion and the Problem of Race in America. This is a book written by two sociologists, Michael Emerson and Christian Smith. And our elders worked through this book probably five, six years ago. Yeah, you know, maybe four, five, six years ago, something like that. Yeah, I can't recall. But anyway, sometime in the last five or six years, we worked through this book together because it had been highly recommended to me by our mutual friend, Mark Dever. And Mark said their elders had gone through it at the recommendation, I think, of one of their church members. And uh, he said it just really uh, created within them an awareness of how they had not been thinking rightly about racial issues. And man, Mm -hmm. we're down here in South Florida. 
So I forget how many nationalities. We got a dozen. Many. Yeah, more nationalities in our church. Uh, a lot of Latinos. Um, um, many of them have some real strong challenges, you know, in terms of the cultural differences that they have. Um, on our eldership, we have uh, a Jewish man, an African-American man, and a Hispanic man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's amongst our, our eldership and a Syrian and, and the Syrian, and then you white guys. Yeah. So you know, we <laughs> Germans. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so um, I mean, we you know, for what it's worth, we we have all of those different ethnic mixes uh, in our eldership. So when we read through it, I was really looking forward to to being helped and challenged by it. But uh, Graham, you were part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember how all that went down? Yeah, I was challenged by it. Um, yeah, reading through it, you know, there was. I think there was a real openness to say, yeah, how can we, how is this going to benefit us? Um, but I think we got two or three chapters in as elders and we just realized, you know, this is not actually very helpful. In fact, there's a lot of uh, false assumptions in here that could lead to a lot of, um, a lot of damage yeah. for people if they take it too seriously. Very unbiblical conclusions yeah. if you follow them through to their uh, logical uh, conclusions. So, David, uh, you obviously uh, read the book, and you tell about that and, and how it started and then how it, it ended and then why you wrote the book. So kind of lay that out for us so that people who don't yet have the book, looking forward to reading it, will know a little bit of the genesis of it. Yeah, so just to give something of a sketch of what I share in the introduction is it it was commended to me. Uh, I read it. I still have the notes in my book, you know, thinking positively about it. I uh, was even, you know, thinking about, I mean, certainly there's a, a burden in America's history for thinking about these issues between black and white. Uh, certainly the civil rights movement growing up in a public school, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was a, a hero uh, for, you know, a, a generation that I was growing up in, certainly different today with some like Ibram Kendi saying that he's actually not gone far enough. And certainly that's what yeah. Critical race theory has kind of taught, but uh, that's how I, you know, was thinking about it, and so I read this book and wanted to even bring some of these things to our church, and probably was in a position to preach something like uh, what we saw at 2018 together for the gospel, David Platt's mm-hmm. sermon, mm-hmm. Uh, and really for me, that is where the between that message and then Ligon Duncan's message, something just snapped, mm-hmm. and realized, okay, Ligon is addressing these things biblically; he's addressing them personally with his own denomination the history that is there. He's not doing sociology and bringing that into the pulpit, which is very much uh, what David Platt did in that Mm -hmm. message. It moved from Amos 5 to kind of the sociological stats that he's pulling out of uh, Divided by Faith. Mm -hmm. And so that just sent me on a journey to think through more carefully, okay, what what should I be thinking about this? In my seminary training, uh, there wasn't anything to kind of give some, you know, kind of uh, preparation for kind of receiving these things. Uh, Russell Moore was my ethics, uh, ethics professor along the way, and we've certainly seen the way that he's commended books like this. Uh, and so long story short, uh, from about 2018 to 2020, uh, was just a long process of just reading some other perspectives and realizing that what is in this book, not only is it the seeds of critical race theory, uh, but it's also not just a a black and white issue, but it's different in ideologies Mm. and an ideology that you can trace back to kind of a cultural Marxism uh, that led to critical race theory. uh, And that is what has been kind of just seeded into the church. And so this book is in many ways a weeding project uh, for brothers who are good friends of mine who are on different sides of the issue today because of how this book and others have shaped the way that they're thinking about ministry. So David, um, Am I remembering right that you were actually preparing to preach 
uh, a series of messages on this. Is that, that, had you gone that far in your thinking? Yeah, so where it was is that uh, every January, uh, I've always preached a, a sermon regarding abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and somewhere along the way, uh, Jason Meyer uh, actually began modeling this with regards to preaching against abortion and then also preaching against racism in the month of January, Martin Luther King Day mm-hmm. there. And so that was a model that I began to, to pick up somewhere in 2017, 2018, uh, and was planning probably 2019. Uh, to, to bring this book and some of its things into the discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't a series, but okay. it was at least some of the ideas that were here, uh, and that all changed. Yeah, so man, I mean, those were critical years, too. Mm-hmm. I look back at the 2017 to 2019. There were, there was a lot of clarifying going on in my yeah. own mind mm-hmm. uh, during that time. So what, what happened? I mean, you said you kind of backed off. You heard the messages at T4G, yeah. and uh, that, that gave you reason to kind of dive in further. What Where'd you go? What what kind of things did you look into? What helped you? Yeah. So, you know, one of the books that I read along the way was The Stain of Racism in the SBC. Mm. Right? So that's the book that was edited by Jarvis Williams and some others. Uh, and they were commending, I mentioned this in the book, they're commending reading, you know, um, black authors, reading yeah. people of color. Uh, so I did. Uh, and I read Thomas Sowell. And uh, that was uh, <laughs> not was that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I may have read the wrong one. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, there were some issues on just uh, on history and culture, and began to realize that when we only narrow in on this sliver of black and white relations, there's so many other subjects, so many other angles that need to be considered, mm-hmm. uh, and that disparity doesn't equal discrimination. Right. Uh, and so those are some things that began to be seen in there. I have great elders uh, as well. We were having conversations. Some of them challenged me on that. Uh, uh, and so just really thankful uh, for, you know, the other voices began to be, you know, speaking up at that time. Yeah. Graham, what were you doing during 2018-19 uh, that was giving you? Uh... Well, I was talking to you a lot about <laughs> these issues. Um, yeah, read this book. Also read Stain of Racism. Um, and some of that stuff was kind of, was some of it was very helpful to me. Some of it was just kind of out of the, <laughs> came out of the blue. And I was wondering, where are you getting these conclusions? Mm. And the thing that you said, a disparity does not equal discri- discrimination, was kind of, that, that, that same thought was echoing in my mind. The whole time I was reading Divided by Faith, and there's a lot, that assumption is is there throughout the, the whole book, that if there is disparity, that that is the discrimination. Mm-hmm. And it probably means that there's latent racism in society and within the the white man's heart because mm-hmm. of these these issues um and yeah you know, i tried to to think about it in a fair way um and tried to to give the the arguments uh, a, f- a fair shake but i mean every time the, the the conclusions were just built on assumptions yeah yeah i i remember during that time i it's 2017 when my mind first started kind of uh, wondering what's going on. I'd had people try to convince me prior to that. I just wasn't seeing it. I couldn't see it. But um, it was a tweet by Tim Keller and the way that tweet was treated in mm. 2017 that alerted me because he, he made some little innocuous statement about you know, the gospel is not primarily about social justice. It's primarily about reconciling sinners to God through Jesus or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And man, he got hammered. He got hammered. And this is Tim Keller, and people are saying, "Well, that's what's wrong with you, white evangelicals? You just don't understand the gospel." And and he tried to, you know, say, "But I, I said primarily, you know, and all." Mm-hmm. And they would give him no quarter. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I remember looking at that, thinking, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! What's going on here?" So that got me 
uh, more alert. I'd had a conversation with Colin Hansen earlier that year in which he said he didn't think that the Young Restless Reform Movement could withstand what was coming in public theology. And I didn't quite understand what he was talking about, but we talked a little bit more about it. He mentioned the racial issues as one of those elements. And so from there, uh, trying to understand, began to read uh, the BDN Yabuele during the, uh, I don't know if it's T4G, I think it might have been the Martin Luther King 50 conference, Mm -hmm. started writing some articles. And I'm reading these articles, I'm thinking, this is nuts. And I like the BD, you know, his old friend. So I wrote him and said, I, I don't get this. And I wrote a response to one of his articles and I sent it to him. And I said, man, I just you know feel like there's another side here that needs to be told. And he, he pushed back on the article a little bit and gave me some helpful thoughts. But I went ahead and published it after that. And then he responded. And I don't know, we went back maybe two or three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, But privately, you know, I, I said, man, help me. I don't see what you're seeing. Help me. And mm-hmm. send me books. And so he sent me a list of like eight or nine books that I went mm-hmm. out and bought and read and when i finished i thought this doesn't this doesn't change anything you know i i disagree with the books and um so that that kind of got me uh, down the road in a way that uh, wound up being very very helpful wasn't easy but it Mm -hmm. was very helpful We wanted to make you aware of a new title that's coming out here shortly at Founders Press. This is Serious Joy, Reflections and Devotions on Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions, a book by Pastor Joey Tomlinson. In this book, uh, Joey introduces the readers to Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions and goes over each of them in detail and gives supporting scripture references for each of them. So it's a wonderful opportunity for Christians to be able to be introduced to Jonathan Edwards and also a wonderful introduction to his 70 resolutions. If you'd like to pre order this new title, you can do so at founders.org. I remember a couple of books that were helpful as well. One that was not a good book, but was clarifying for me was Rediscipling the White Church. Um, wouldn't recommend, but it helped me to see where this this kind of thinking is leading. Uh, and then um, I think you read it too, Tom uh, Shelby Steele's book was White Guilt. White Guilt, yeah, uh, was was very helpful. Um, And then conversations and some of the stuff that Vody Bauckham was putting out at the time as well was very helpful. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever um, read any of Anthony Bradley's stuff from King's College, David? Yeah, uh, I did. Uh, It's interesting. His book, uh, his first book, I can't remember the title of it, but he's writing against Black liberation theology. Mm -hmm. It's actually a really stalwart book. Yeah, absolutely. He does a great job with that. And then you know, I didn't follow him terribly close. They read a couple of things by him. I mean, I know he was one that distinguished between kind of great commission Christianity versus like a redemptive kingdom right. Christianity uh, where like there's this whole almost kind of Kyperian view, but it, you know, there's a transformative element there. Uh, and one, I thought he was narrowing the great commission too far because mm-hmm. the great commission certainly in the primacy that is making disciples, but that you're teaching them right. uh, to obey all that Christ has commanded. And so that does mm-hmm. have an expansive effect to that. So I think he was misreading that. Uh, in fact, I deal with him with an article uh, on my my blog uh, that gets mentioned in the book. Um, but yeah, so I just felt like he wasn't terribly helpful after that first book. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I ten years ago or fifteen years ago, maybe now, I was commending uh, his work and really appreciative of it, and it just caught me off guard to discover that he was the one. He was one of the ones that said, "Yeah, that's a problem with white evangelical Christianity. You've never had the gospel." And uh, people pushed back on it. I don't know if I did it, but somebody said, are you saying that R.C. Sproul, who recently died, mm-hmm. uh, never had the gospel? He said, that's exactly what I'm saying. 
Wow. And uh, so, boy, that was a wake up uh, call yeah. to me. And then, of course, Vody, you know, Vody's never been the right kind of black man <laughs> in these discussions. And he's been told that and called an Uncle Tom and every other uh, name in the book except Christian because of mm-hmm. his unwillingness to just go down this road. But once once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. Once you see what's going on. And what makes it difficult, I think, <clears throat> for pastors and, and sensitive Christians to um, to withstand this kind of onslaught is that, yeah, we do know that there are uh, racial inequities. We do mm-hmm. know there have been horrific things that have been done uh, out of blatant uh, racism and sinful partiality in our nation, in our history, in the name of Christianity. There's just no mm-hmm. doubt about that. That's right. And so... If you recognize that, you don't close your eyes to it, then somebody comes along and tells you, and here's why, and here's what you got to do in order to make it right. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just kind of primed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned, this is, this is an interesting story. I mentioned one of our elders is an African-American. And as we were reading through Divided by Faith, I'm reading Shelby Steele <clears throat> and his White Guilt. And uh, that's a powerful book, by the way. I mean, he tells his own story of mm-hmm. uh, growing up in a nation that I've grown up in. I mean, he's, he's a little bit older than me, but um, how when he and his father were taking a road trip, you know, they'd have to pull into towns and at, find a black person, ask where they could go to the bathroom because mm-hmm. they couldn't use the bathroom at the gas station. You know, it's just crazy. I mean, this is the nation that, <clears throat> that I've grown up in. So I'm reading his book, and I was up at the, my, my study at the church one Friday night, I don't even know why I was up there late, but for whatever reason I was, and I'm reading Shelby Steele, and I'm, I'm weeping, thinking, mm. I, this, is, this is horrible. This is horrible. And so Don, our African-American elder, I don't know why he was up there either, but he stopped in, came into my study, sees me reading this book, weeping. He said, man, what's going on? And so, you know, I started telling him, I said, I just... You know, I hate the fact that this is where our nation's been. And, you know, I've, I've talked to him. I've talked to other blacks in our church about things that had happened during uh, the Travion Martin uh, blow up and uh, George Floyd and all of that. And just trying to, you know, be sensitive to what they're experiencing. And I've heard stories, horrible stories. Don has horrible stories, you know, of what happened to him simply because of uh, his ethnicity as he was growing up and even as an adult. And so I, I remember talking to him. I said, I think we ought to provide maybe a Sunday night where uh, you and, and other blacks in the church can just tell the congregation your experience, you know, and what, what you've had to live through. And, uh, you know, and that's been true of some of our uh, Hispanic brothers and sisters too. We, we just need a platform for you guys to be able to speak to this because so many of us just don't know. We hadn't thought about it. And so he very kindly, gently, and firmly took me to the woodshed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he said, so, uh, so why, and why would you want to do that? And I'm telling him, but but why, you know, but why, and where in the scripture and brother, Mm -hmm. and and finally on over a course, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour brought me back to, yeah, we, we have a book and it tells us how we're to live together as Christians Mm -hmm. and we can own these realities and lament them and grieve over them without falling, being, allowing ourselves to be manipulated by false guilt into doing something that the Bible never calls us to do. Mm. And uh, man, that was a, that was a kind providence of God to bring him mm-hmm. there at that moment because I was ripe. Yeah. Uh, and I think one important uh, pastoral element to this is guilt is the most powerful 
manipulative tool that there is. Um, and, and so pastors need to watch out that they are not being manipulated by guilt and need to watch out for their flock, that their flock is not being manipulated by guilt. Yeah. And that we don't use it because I tell you, I'm Mm -hmm. an expert at guilt manipulation. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you talk to my kids or my wife and, uh, they'll tell you that I know all the techniques on that. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of The Sword in the Trial. We just wanted to remind you of our upcoming National Founders Conference that is coming up next January 18th through the 20th. That's January 2024. Uh, It's going to be a wonderful time of encouragement. The theme is Remember Jesus Christ, so it's an entire conference devoted to Christology. Uh, Tom Askell, Conrad and Bayway, Paul Washer, Joel Beakey, Phil Johnson, and Travis Allen will all be there speaking at the conference. And we're delighted to be able to announce Allie Beth Stuckey will also be joining us as a special guest as well at this upcoming conference. She'll be doing a live podcast with us, with Tom and me, and she'll also be doing a breakout session for all the ladies in attendance as well. So if you want to come and sign up for the conference, you can do so at founders.org slash conference. We'd love to see you there. David, what are you, uh, what are you hoping to accomplish with the book? Yeah. So maybe just to piggyback on what you just said there and then to go to that, you know, I just got done teaching systematic theology in Indianapolis. And uh, one of the things we're thinking about was just the reformation uh, and thinking about justification. Mm. Right. And if we don't have a proper understanding of justification, then we're going to attempt to use our sanctification in order to prove our justification. Mm. Right. And so with the, the divided by faith, I think the effect that it had was without denying justification by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. It, it brings up that guilt, that guilty conscience that has been you know, put put forward there. Um, and, and so what it does is then requires we need to do a kind of social justice. We need to produce uh, an equity that is there. We need to do sanctification writ large in order to accomplish justification instead of uh, just going back to the firm foundations that are found in Scripture. And so the book that I, I've written is trying to say, look, the gospel is sufficient. Uh, and, and what Divided by Faith does is, is to lead us astray from that. Mm-hmm. I think it's highly ironical uh, the fact that this book is given to us not only by sociologists um, but with Christian Smith I mean he's become Catholic uh, we see with uh, Michael Emerson that he is someone who is at a school now that is clearly not uh, even evangelical certainly not uh, reformed uh, and it has had this huge impact on the reformed evangelical community from a view that is very Arminian very pragmatic uh, so I'm wanting to expose that Mm-hmm. I want to shine light on that and to say that these seeds that were sown have produced weeds mm-hmm. uh, that are in our hearts, that are in our churches, that are in, you know, what's the, the it's fractured in many ways now, but the movement that was the Young Restless and Reform movement, uh, to be able to say these are not healthy things. And one of the things I'm arguing in the book is that racialization uh, is, a, is an idea and a word that has been thrown around by, by many, uh, and it really has its sources in critical race theory. Yeah. Uh, so the book itself doesn't have, a, divided by faith, doesn't use the language of critical race theory. It's a little bit early for that. I mean, that idea mm-hmm. shows up in the 1990s and stuff like that, coming in the, the legal spheres. Uh, but it certainly is identifying that one of the, the place where the, the definition of racialization in divided by faith comes from is by a man by the name of Edward. Eduardo Benia Silva, uh, and he has since gone on to write a book that has gone through many editions, Racism Without Racists. Mm-hmm. And so if there is a, a, someone who has influenced evangelicalism, reformed evangelicalism, uh, Eduardo Benia Silva, without knowing the name, mm-hmm. has certainly influenced that through this book. And many today who have seen the full system of critical race theory and have opposed 
that, well, then turn right around and keep using the category of racialization, which is built right in the the minds of critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Uh, So trying to show that and to point people back to the fact and say that the gospel is sufficient, the word of God is sufficient. Maybe we have some work to do uh, Mm -hmm. with a biblical, theological uh, understanding of sociology. Um, but I want to say that the book doesn't just have some helpful observations uh, with wrong conclusions, but from beginning to end, it's using the wrong analytical tools, uh, and therefore it's not helpful uh, for Christians. And part of the applications then is to say, look, there really is ethnic pride, ethnic hostility, ethnic partiality. And when that happens, we need to address that with mm-hmm. the full weight of the law, the full weight of the gospel, uh, and not to be kind of hoodwinked um, by this racialization that doesn't help anyone. Yeah, that's well put, David, because if, we, if we're not seeing it and seeing through that, then we're going to buy the remedies that they are selling, which will take us away from the real help yeah. that is needed yeah. to overcome real real racial and ethnic partiality. Uh, you know, Robin DiAngelo's book, White Fragility, is the one that I first heard that idea that you, you can have a racist without, you can have racism without there being a racist in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just in the air that we breathe because everything's racialized and all structures and institutions are racialized. And, and she makes the statement that you never ask, um, is there racism? You always ask, where is the racism? Because the assumption is there and the assumption cannot be questioned. And of course, if you buy that, you might as well throw the Bible away mm-hmm. because you've mm-hmm. already been told, here's how you got to see the world. And, yeah. uh, and so consequently, you don't help people. And it grieves me to see folks who have bought into this, both in terms of claiming you know, the oppressed status and the oppressor status. And uh, they're in an endless cycle. There's mm-hmm. no way off. This is all you're ever going to be as an oppressor, or this is all you're ever going to be as oppressed, where the gospel says, no, that doesn't have to identify you, where you came from, what happened to you, nor what you did. Uh, We are new creatures in Christ, and the grace of God in Jesus Christ makes all things new. And so we can repent and make right the things that we've done wrong, but those things don't have to identify us anymore. Well, and often it's not what you did, but just who you are. Yeah. This is what makes you the oppressor. Yeah, that in in this way of thinking, mm-hmm. it certainly does. So, brother, this uh, book, it's a small book, and it's going to mm-hmm. be wonderfully useful. It already is, and if uh, you were fortunate enough to get an early uh, electronic version of it when it was being offered by Christ Overall, we'll read it if you hadn't read it, spread it around. But look for the hard copy that will come out in... September, and you can go to the G3 website and pre-order it, and it'll be available, I'm sure, on uh, larger platforms here that sell books uh, before too long. But get this book, read it. If, if you're not a pastor, get a copy of it for your pastor because it is that important to recognize that a lot of the thinking about race has come from ideologies that are contrary to the gospel. And if you buy into them and you try to minister out of that futile or wrong thinking, then you're just going to go down wrong roads. You're going to confuse people. You're not going to help people. And David, brother, again, once again, you have served the broader church very well with your writing uh, ministry. We're grateful for you and appreciate uh, the fact that you'd be willing to, to address this in such a clear, cogent manner, thorough manner. And um, in, in doing so, provide a useful tool for those of us that are in the trenches with you in local churches. Thank you, brother. 
Good to have you today on the Sword and Trial. And thank you today for joining us and listening in on this conversation. If there's anything we can do for you at Founders, please don't hesitate to reach out and give us that opportunity. We want to thank our Founders Alliance members who support us and enable us to produce this kind of content that we hope will be useful for churches. If you're interested in becoming a Founders Alliance member, there's more information at founders.org. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is is forgetting. We, We forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because That's why we are the church. Christ is supreme over all. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. We're there to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024 as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.